everyone from the Jam Yearbook. I'm Jim. And I'm Matt. We're here to visit a different year of music each week and share our opinions on what we found. Welcome to version 2005. Last week, version 1999, it was a year full of music festivals. Not the best ones. Not the best (laughs) ones. Uh, But in 05, we kind of turned around and we saw some benefit concerts being held. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to lean on you a little bit. Oh, actually a lot for this episode. Uh, (laughs) I listened to a lot of playlists and so much of this music is just unfamiliar to me. Yeah. Um, Some of it I heard about, but I didn't hear the songs before. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get too far down that rabbit hole, uh, we've got some grieving to do. We'll start off with Luther Vandross. What a voice. He mm. was still young. It was 54 years of age when the world lost one of its top vocalists of, of his generation. Vandross had diabetes and hypertension. On April 16th, 2003, he had a severe stroke at his home. He was in New York City. He was in a coma for nearly two months. The stroke had affected his ability to speak and sing, and it required him to use a wheelchair. His funeral was held at Riverside Church in New York City, and Aretha Franklin, Patti LaBelle, Stevie Wonder, Dion Warwick, and Sissy Houston were among the speakers that were at his service. He just had a, a stellar career. A lot of people don't realize that Luther was also a backup singer for a lot of these artists. A little known fact about Luther, he appeared as a single man his entire life. And he had to hide his homosexuality. He felt he had to because his songs appealed so much to women. He was afraid that he wouldn't sell records if they knew that he was a gay man. But he did have love. He had one person in his life that was a significant other. And this was revealed post-death by some of the other stars around him. They always knew this. They loved him. And they thought he was a fantastic person. So Luther Vandross. Yeah, Luther Vandross. I think I feel like he's been kind of forgotten over time too. I, I think so too. I they really like him over here in the UK. He still mm-hmm. sticks out on the radio. There's that song that was the, the the dance with my father song that came out. I think within a year or two of his death, it was a big deal. And I know that a, a lot of daddy daughter dances took place with that song <laughs> after that. Somebody you might not have heard of. Well, you have Matt, but people listening is link ray and i can't let this moment pass without mentioning link ray he lived a full life and a lot of people are going to be like who is this guy it's worth reading up on it is if you watch the 2008 documentary it might get loud you get to see jimmy page go into his private vinyl listening room and he puts on rumble by link ray go look this up You will know this song immediately. To be honest, it's on a commercial over here. So the minute I played it to Linda, she was like, oh, yeah, that's super money saving expert commercial. (laughs) But in this documentary, we get to see Jimmy Page behave the way we would if we were listening to our favorite Jimmy Page solo. The kind of squinted eyes, and air guitaring in front of his Mm -hmm. record player. Pete Townsend said he would never have picked up a guitar if it weren't for Link Ray. Springsteen, Neil Young, Iggy Pop listed him as an influence, and Bob Dylan even referenced him in his song Sign Language. He's credited with inventing the power chord, so he deserves a nod on our show. I wholeheartedly agree. So here is to Luther and to Link Ray. Cheers. Ching, ching. Ching, ching. I was thirsty. Oh, I bet. (laughs) Matt already had a beer open, people. I parched. (laughs) And now I have two, so I guess that means the first one's got to get drank fast. Uh, (laughs) 
I already said earlier that we've uh, had all the music festivals in version 1999 last mm-hmm, week, and mm-hmm. we'll start off talking about the uh, benefit concerts here. We'll start in January. Uh, there was a relief concert held at the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff, Wales, to aid the victims of the Indian Ocean earthquake and resulting tsunami that occurred in December 2004. Yep. Bands that appeared include Badly Drawn Boy, Charlotte Church, Eric Clapton. Your Peter, favorite. <laughs> Eric Clapton. Yeah. We'll get hey, to that. <laughs> hey, he, they, they all waived their uh, appearance fee for the benefits, so... Uh, He's not a, he's not a, I don't think he's an asshole. I just don't enjoy his music, right? <laughs> I, I saw that. Some people they, actually they, might disagree with my, that former statement. They, they might, they might actually, <laughs> he might be an asshole, but we're yeah. not going to claim he is one right now. Yeah, no, but no, no, no. I, I have to take exception to something that you say about they waive their normal appearance fees. I'll tell you Am this. Am I wrong? Well, if you know, I'm sure that they did, but if you gave me a list of artists who charged to play benefit concerts. Oh, yeah. Like of this stature, you know, this was a massive tragic event that took place. I'd be like, those people are assholes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. And really, I, I, my whole issue, and this is going to be old guy yelling at clouds moment, because, you know, you have these benefit shows. And for me, I'm like, just give your money directly to, to where it needs to go. Otherwise, the people in charge of these, they're just going to mismanage those funds. Release a song, you know, something yes. like that, you know, and do something very simple for people to go out and make a purchase and yeah. donate some of the proceedings from that. Yep. Uh, and then on July 2nd, we had the Live 8 concerts taking place yep. in 11 cities around the world with the final push happening four days after on July 6th in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, they were designed to precede the G8 Summit held in Scotland that year. Mm-hmm. And although it took place on the 20th anniversary of Live Aid, Bob Geldof, who helped organize both events, did not intend this to be Live Aid 2, even though, you know, people were kind of pushing him to brand it that way. Mm -hmm. It ran in support of two other campaigns to help impoverished countries make poverty history and the global call to act against poverty. And then the third concert we had uh, was the concert for Hurricane Relief held on September 2nd. This -hmm. was to benefit those affected by Hurricane Katrina. They raised... $50 $50 million, and it was watched on TV by an estimated eight and a half million people. Performers included Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, Aaron Neville, and Harry Connick Jr., who also organized the show. He played uh, Bourbon Street Parade with other New Orleans musicians, Wynton Marsalis, Victor Goins, Lucian Barbarin, and Charles Neville. And full disclosure, if you couldn't tell, I was not going to commit that all to memory. <laughs> so there was a lot of reading off of off a page right there. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. It's Nothing like out of the history it. books, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's move on. Let's start at the top. The most popular thing going on in music in 2005 is pop and rap, probably. Yeah. Yep. You know, as usual, you know, we've had this huge pop explosion that we started covering in 1999. Mm-hmm. Probably the biggest not probably it had to have been the biggest was Mariah Carey. She had the year and number one song. We belong together. That stayed number one for 14 weeks off the emancipation of Mimi album. We're only six years away from the 1999 show when she was putting out platinum albums. We talk about that. And already this is considered her comeback. This is kind of bullshit to me because I think it's more of like a pampered celebrity, not being able to handle failure Mm -hmm. because she released glitter a couple years prior and she was panned for that uh, we should make a bet on who's gonna have to watch glitter not me finger <laughs> on my nose thumb on the table not me <laughs> 
it seems like the whole comeback label is it's just an ego stroke. Heaven forbid somebody try something and not succeed or stay at the same level they had prior. Um, I think everyone listening knows I would rather have a prostate exam than listen to this. But it was inescapably huge. But apparently I don't mind prostate exams because I, I listened to that <laughs> fucking song. And for some reason, because it's so huge, I am kind of surprised I had never heard it before. I don't know why it was 14 weeks at number one. It's definitely nothing special. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I must have just selectively forgotten it. I'll, I'll go back and listen to it maybe after the show. Maybe the audience yeah. will put it on the playlist and we'll just be oh, fucked. And we'll just have yeah. to listen to it every once in a while, whether we like yeah. it or not. We know we're afraid of some songs in 1999 showing up. Yeah. So this oh, might exactly. be the one from uh, 2005. Yeah. And yeah. I wasn't really listening to the sources where it was going to be played. Well, talking about sources where the music gets played, I was definitely in an environment in 2005 where there was a lot of rap and hip hop being played. I just started running a teen center in Burlington when the 50 Cent album came out and the kids were constantly putting on Candy Shop and I was constantly running over and turning it off. I mean, it's typical for teens to like this kind of music, but it was hard for me to convince them that they weren't in the right setting. So along with the radio driving to work, I was hearing 50 Cent offer for you to lick his lollipop over and over and over again. Oh, oh, yeah. And I don't know how I heard his name, but never his music. Probably like Mariah, I'm not listening to the sources. Mm -hmm. And I listened to Candy Shop for the first time. And your story doesn't surprise me. Mm -hmm. I mean, teenagers are always going to think they're they're getting one over on the adults. Oh, yeah. And not to get you know nihilistic, but one day... Those kids, they're going to be our age and they're going to realize it's all been done. You know, let's not go down certain roads. And then they'll have kids and they're running over and turning off the radio. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I listened to Disco Inferno too. I really don't understand how he became so big. These, I don't like him. <laughs> you know, and his, <laughs> and his flow, it sounds so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, And in the videos, he looks just as uncomfortable and unnatural. You just look at his face yeah. and he's not selling what he's rapping with his eyes. Uh, Fiddy, he, he, he had one big song, in my opinion, in the club. It's fun. It's a great song to be out on the dance floor to, to be bobbing along in the car too. It's a perfect one hit wonder for somebody that would be forgettable. Mm. I, I like it. It's got its own merit for me, but it was so big that it kind of put him on this pedestal where I don't really think he belonged. I went back after I saw you texted me that song and I, I did recognize that one, mm -hmm. barely. But then I saw that, I saw Dre in the video and then I saw Eminem's name attached to it. And yeah. I, I think that probably helped put him on that pedestal. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know? Yeah, you talk about his style and flow. I think he was actually the start of mumble rap. The, the way the words come out of his mouth, it's evolved to what it is now. So it is different but he has a lot of drag in his rap. And I think mm. that's why it kind of sounds unnatural and behind the beats at the time of the music as it, as it was coming out. He had some propping up musically with Dr. Dre and Eminem, but he also had that bad boy sex appeal symbol going for him. Mm. So yeah, yeah, that's how you sell yeah. albums sometimes. Yeah. And then we had Kanye West, the late registration album where you got the hit Gold Digger. Yeah. That was... Late registration won the uh, best rap album grammy that year mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i was all over this album it has great traditional hip-hop sampling and i think kanye runs through a gamut of styles on it i hear him almost picking up influence or imitating other artists like dre and eminem and jay-z in different songs on the album almost in a way of uh, saying 
well, I can do this too. Some people say that he should be a producer and not necessarily, uh, a, you know, a rapper writer himself, mm -hmm. but this album, along with the other ones that he's put out that we've talked about, is just another example of great material that he can do. Yeah. And, you know, I think he looked at those people and said, no, nah, I'm going to do both. <laughs> Right. Because you can hear it on his albums. He's not singing on every song or rapping on every song on his album. He gets guests all over the place. But and Goldegger had some good timing as well, because you had Jamie Foxx singing lines uh, from the Ray Charles song. I got a woman. Yep. The biopic Ray was a success in 04. So, you know, there's some there's some good timing there. Mm -hmm. I didn't really have time for rap, but this was definitely a song I heard. And I, and I was like, wow, that's. I really like all the little background sounds that I'm hearing and uh, the song, what is uh, touch the sky. That's yeah. so cool. The way he samples Curtis Mayfield mm -hmm. on that. That's that's really cool. I'm a testify. Great song. Yeah. Great song. I really like that. George Bush doesn't care about black people. <laughs> <laughs> Even if Kanye was right, you were kind of stunned for Mike Myers in this moment. For people who don't know, he said this on live television during this Hurricane Katrina concert event that was raising yeah. money. And Mike Myers was just standing there like, whoa, big eyes, didn't really know what to do. <laughs> yeah, that started kind of a trend of what people were to expect from Kanye. He's going to do what he wants to do. I, but I think, you know, Kanye being Kanye might be, one of the reasons. However, I went and looked this up today. And do you know that this album was released on the 30th of August and the concert was held on September 2nd and he happened to sell 860,000 copies of the album that week. Oh, that's interesting. It is interesting because wow. I think you have Kanye being Kanye, but we also know Kanye has intent. Oh, he's not dumb. No, he got attention. Oh yeah, definitely. Ooh, what's mm. this all about? Yeah. So I'm not going to knock him because it is a good album. And I think it still would have stood out on its own, but that album actually sold twice as many copies in its first week than the college dropout did. Oh, wow. Yeah. The other song off the album that I liked was the diamonds are forever. The use of the Shirley Bassey sample from the James Bond yeah. film. And I think as far as a hip hop album goes, this was one of the most fun, engaging albums of the 2000s completely. You know, yeah. I'm happy to have listened to that this week again. And I think another one that people thought was fun was the Black Eyed Peas. Not this Black Eyed Peas album. <laughs> are, we, are, are, are we still a little early for yeah, a Black Eyed well, Peas? Well, I mean, they had Where's the Love on the previous album, which was kind of a big hit. And then My this album was kind of big, right? It was big. But really, did you feel like you were any smarter for listening to my humps? <laughs> you, well, come on now. Yeah, you. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> It was. I like you, Steel Panther. I'm not going to say I'm smarter for listening yeah. to their music. It, 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 that's true. It's the only. <laughs> it's the only song I remember from this album. It was, I think, a stumble before their next album that will come up in a future show. It was big with. I've got a feeling. Okay, I I do admire the energy. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, of you know, it's very you know, it's very up tempo and hey, it's good time music, which you know, we we all need. Yes, the world needs that. Um, and then probably one of the bigger ones that I remember was Gorillaz. Yeah, that was a great album. This was probably their last big release commercially. They've had new material and they still tour. They they were touring over here recently. There are some songs on this album that became entrenched as like immediate classic hits. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it would be tough to beat. Somewhere in the world at this moment, you know, Feel Good Incorporated and Dirty Harry are on the radio, guaranteed. <laughs> Feel yep. good. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Are we going to go into karaoke? I don't know. If it's fun to sing, <laughs> sing it. Yeah, you know? exactly. Right. I, <laughs> but yeah, I doubt it's ever left the airwaves since it first came. I think people are going to turn off the podcast. People who think they know yeah, Jim know. and Matt. We're here for the first 10, 50 minutes here going, hey, Mariah Carey. Hey, Kanye. Hey, Black Eyed Peas. Now, Gorilla's cool. A lot of people will attest yeah, to Gorilla's yeah. being cool. But then yeah. what was the next act that you put on? Crazy on? Frog. <laughs> <laughs> now here's the thing about crazy frog i think i've told you that the british people can be very funny about pushing songs to the number one spot at christmas yes, time i love those stories yeah so in 2005 i spent christmas in scotland and this was the christmas number one that ah. year. <laughs> but i wasn't surprised because in 1997 the first time i came to the uk the Teletubbies theme song was voted as the Christmas number one. <laughs> so at least the redeeming factor of Crazy Frog for me was Axel F, the theme from Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> <laughs> let's not do karaoke a crazy yeah, frog. Let's not do Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I do remember Teletubbies as well. Uh, we used to babysit our niece and nephew, and I became familiar with Teletubbies and Crazy they don't remember this, I'm sure, but they got pretty familiar with cake and ween. So <laughs> I, I, I guess I got back. We had finally given into the cult of Apple in 04 and we got our first iPod for Christmas yeah. that year. So later uh, in 05, you know, I got into the digital media that I would obsess over for the next probably decade, sharing music with friends. Oh, you got this. I got this. And going back and forth. Um, and I was listening to a lot of Internet on the radio too, some stuff from Germany and uh, other places in the U in uh, Europe to basically local radio stations being shit, <laughs> you know, and I would listen to a lot of uh, talk radio. I was listening yep. to a lot of sports and mm -hmm. the Donna Mike show. Yep. I, I wanted to laugh and just get away from shit music. Yeah. That, that took over the digital age. I think really kind of by this point, you know, you talk about having the iPod. I've always been a PC guy, so don't judge me. But I did transition from when I was talking about 1999, I'm glad they didn't knock on my door for using Napster. Yeah. <laughs> oh, to, yeah. I actually bought some music off iTunes. I used it. It was my preferred platform mm -hmm. of uh, storing the music, even the stuff that I already had. Because I think the cool part about iTunes at this point was that you could move your music over to it no matter where you got it. And it would normally find the right artwork for the cover and file it down into the right category. Yeah. And that would show up on your iPod. So to me, there was no doubt that iTunes was the superior program for downloading and transporting music around. It's so it's strange that I had an iPod, even though I was still using PCs. <laughs> well, yeah. I was still using a PC at this point, too. It's still, it's still interfaced. Okay. Well, hey, let's get away from this music that we've talked about, you know, and we, we obviously we're in the digital stuff, but let's talk about some rock music. Yeah, rock. Yeah. So the first thing that popped into my mind when we were talking about rock music was Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah, good band. Yeah, great band. I, lo I love this band a lot. It's a great album they released in 2005. Little Sister was the big song that was on the radio, so I remember that. But I miss Dave Grohl's drumming. There's something that he adds to Josh Homme's music, and there's something Homme knows about this because of the creation of Them Crooked Vultures that we'll see down the road. Yeah, Josh, he is a very talented musician and songwriter. Mm -hmm. He dabbles with a lot of other people. But Dave Grohl is also a songwriter. Yeah. You know, because we know because of Foo Fighters. And I think that helps his approach to how drums should be in a song. And then going on from Queens, we have Weezer. 
Yeah. With the yeah. Make Believe album, I it think. Was it was Make Believe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This album has one of my favorite and most hated Weezer songs on it. And they're back to back. I never need to hear Beverly Hills again. Preach. Yeah. <laughs> I'll reveal my favorite in my five, if that doesn't already immediately show my card, since I said they're back to back. <laughs> so anybody who knows the album is going to know what I've got in my five. But another song that I really liked off of it was the We Are All on Drugs I think it's a, a great commentary on the American pharmaceutical industry and the recreational population in America. Oh, yeah. But for the most part, this is a pretty flat Weezer album, mm-hmm. which by now is the majority of their catalog for me. There's a few good songs. There's always going to be a few good songs. One almost made my five freak me out. Yeah, good and, song. You know, you know, I hear I am saying, you know, this album needs a shot of caffeine and I and I would have chosen probably the slowest song on it. I find it hard to believe that Make Believe is their highest charting album. No. Yeah. No. Well, charting, not sales. Oh, okay. So highest charting. All right. What did you think of the System of a Down record? Well, records, they had they had two, right? Hypnotize and Mesmerize? Yeah. Yeah. Two of them came out. Love both the albums, but just the style is just amazing. It's fun. Oh, yeah. They're definitely one of the most interesting bands of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a song I don't particularly like, I'm going to listen. It's just so unique. And I feel like I'm learning new ways of writing songs. It's probably that Armenian twist they bring to everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember I got these albums from one of the guys I work with, but he gave me like gigs and gigs of music and (laughs) I just couldn't get to it right away. I'd probably, I don't think I've, I listened to these albums for like a couple of years down the road. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, just because I was inundated with, with uh, music from people. Mm -hmm. You you can only listen to so much. I think BYOB was kind of a, a reaction to the uh, Iraq war that was going on at the time and was really kind of a commentary on that. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just really, really loved it. But let's get away from music for a few minutes. Cause we talked at the beginning about big events and not, not necessarily these charity concerts. Well, one of them kind of was to this day, I can still sit back and enjoy the Pink Floyd reunion that took place at live eight. So this to me was an event in itself <laughs> Pink Floyd, Roger Waters, Solo, they've always been huge stage production shows. And there were two things that happened here that were just great for me. One was seeing them bury the hatchet. They're old friends. They did it for a greater cause that evening. The second thing is just seeing them played stripped back. The most that I've seen them since the early 70s. It was really watching the band itself and not the concert spectacle that they always brought to the stage. So for me, the lack of extra musicians on stage made it actually more musical because it was just the core band and a few extra vocalists. I think there was a rhythm guitar player there, but it felt more personal. The second big event for me was not anything to do with the charity, although we go back to Eric Clapton, and it was the reunion of Cream that was at the Royal Albert Hall in London. That was where they'd actually played their last concert, so they went back and they did a reunion concert there as well. I always had a lot of respect for Jack Bruce's bass playing. I listed him in my top three influences of all time quite often if people were to ask me. I copied his moves, and I don't think he was as rock star as Clapton or Ginger Baker. He didn't have oh, that yeah, no. big, I big front. Yeah. But he held his own on stage. And when he was in the driver's seat of that band, you could see that he could easily fit between those two huge egos. I think Clapton's best playing 
in his career in his lifetime came out of this type of setting they were like the best bar blues band of white english guys you'll ever see <laughs> when it comes to a band like cream that so many people like, I always feel like I'm missing something mm -hmm. and I always want to try to connect with it. So I don't know, maybe that'll be the, maybe that'll be the catalyst for me. I think I enjoy watching musicians sometimes more than I enjoy listening to them. And that's part of me too. Cause I, I mean, I, how many times do I come on and hear, Oh, I saw this on YouTube. I saw this documentary yeah. because and having that visual does help. It does. In this concert video, I think the thing that surprised me when I put it on yeah, Clapton does sing some of Cream's songs and he sings some of their most popular songs. And I watched it again this week. I didn't get to the end of it, but I'm sure, you know, White Room and Sunshine of Your Love or, you know, Sunshine of Your Love was one that he definitely sang. I'm sure that's the last song of the evening or an encore mm. or something like that. But the driver's seat, like I said, at the start of this was Jack Bruce. Yeah. And it's really cool to see him go out on stage and confidently handle those guys. As far as the, the Pink Floyd thing goes, what I like about it is you can see there's so much different energy between David Gilmour and Roger Waters on stage. David Gilmour is very almost sullen. He's not personable. He sits back, he plays, he's a little emotional when he's playing his music, but he's, yeah, but he's always been kind of laid back. He is when he and, plays. And and technical in some ways. Yes. And, and how he's playing. Whereas Roger Waters likes to pump his fist in the air and he likes to sing yeah. along. Like even when David Gilmore is singing his part, Roger Waters is over on the other side singing yep. the part. Yeah. They're his lyrics, it, you know, yeah. so you can't blame him. For <laughs> yeah, but it's like he's he's saying, I'm not really a bass player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. But but for this performance, I think. Comfortably Numb, a lot of people consider it to be one of the most overplayed songs of all time, and I, I won't disagree with them. I still like the song, but it's right where it should be. It's beautiful, and it's raw. Eventually, on this show, we're going to get to the year when The Wall was released. I can't leave 2005 without bringing this up. I've experienced creating music with someone very special, you know, having that type of bond, but not being able to keep that magic on stage but still never sacrificing that friendship. Mm. And I watched these two guys get up on stage and perform together. And it made me think about my friends that I played with and how it would affect me kind of emotionally to ever have that chance to do it again. Wow. I think that's called empathy. Well, Waters even said at the start of it, this is for Sid and that's brotherhood and bandmates right there. I think they've always held Sid in high regard and they have some regret about how everything kind of turned out. Mm -hmm. with that i'm sure it was a mixed bag of resentment and wanting to help him yeah um, but at the time it was about the band's survival they had to do what they had to do um not that they enjoyed it mm -hmm. um and while i enjoy pink floyd it's never been an experience for me listening to them i think the closest thing i would say to having an experience with them is listening with my headphones or late at night on vinyl right in the middle of all four of the speakers you know, and so there's nothing competing and I can just focus on everything that's going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's always I, I, just been a more personal experience. Yeah, me. I'm exactly the same. Pink Floyd to me is a solitude band and oh, not yeah. in heavy doses. I've actually found most of their concert videos to be boring. 
I can't tell you mm. the amount of times I went over to somebody's house and they were like, dude, we're going to watch Pulse again tonight. And I'm just like, oh my oh, God, I, I don't want to do this. <laughs> you're you're yeah. on watching a, a, a great concert with a massive light show on a 27 inch television set back then. That was the biggest TV you had yeah. <laughs> back yeah. in those I homes. I can see if you were actually there. It would be cool. You had the memories. Yeah. 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 That'd be fine. But I liked was that the reunion had some authenticity to it. It, it wasn't slick and overproduced the way that their other concerts were and that's exactly it pink floyd they evolved into this live experience that maybe detracted from how fucking talented they are mm -hmm. and how these songs these songs can stand on their own without the stage production yeah they can because they're great everybody knows them they can sing along they can sing the guitar solo for comfortably numb with their mouth yeah yep yep right that to, to me that is the audience participation that's not like scripted into a song. It's kind of like up there with Tom Sawyer where it's so great, but how can it be overplayed? Be you know, it's, it's that same thing. Yeah. I see yeah. it coming. It's like, Oh, I've heard it a hundred fucking thousand times. But then <laughs> when it hits, you're like, especially that guitar solo, you're like, <laughs> you just can't help it. Well, after after this, we're going to air guitars. We've done air drumming. We've done karaoke. Yeah. Fortunately, folks, one of us has to do that with their mouth while the other one air guitars. So you're not going to get that. <laughs> so let's move on and let's get back on track. So I was shedding these tears of nostalgia in 2005. <laughs> what about you? What was going on with you in 2005? For a couple of bands that I'll get into later, but on a larger scale, not really. Aside from Pink Floyd, I don't think I really missed anything spectacular. Pop and rap had really exploded and it's well established by now. <laughs> hey, you just cheered my comment. I like that. <laughs> it's well established. I am not putting on pop of the Mariah Carey kind in 2005 or ever. I'm <laughs> just not going to. That's not music for me. Unless you're having a prostate exam. <laughs> exactly. And really, I'm still at this time, I'm keeping rap at arm's length. But it's usually the stuff the kids bring in. You know, like yeah. MF Doom or Kanye. Yeah. Uh, well, running Kendrick the Teen Center. That's that's how I got into a lot of that yeah, music. Because exactly. you hear it repetitively over and over again. It breaks you down. It's like camp songs. Eventually, you're singing along to all of them. And it yeah. doesn't matter. They all sound Yeah, and good. a lot of it is just repetition and familiarity with yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. Right? Until you can start rapping along or singing along. I'm still going to rap along. I just, I just don't <laughs> think I have the mouth for that. <laughs> but it, and I think people have probably noticed that I don't feel like I've added a whole lot of conversation in this episode because these early 2000s, they're going to be hard work for me on these shows. They're really lean years for mm -hmm. me and discovering new music. And I was getting jaded by music that was coming out because it just wasn't for me. Even the alt rock station, I'm like, I'm really tired of that. Um, and I don't know if you've noticed, I can be pretty critical. No, no <laughs> things you don't that say. I don't. Yeah, exactly. But you know, at this time, I'm working 12 hour nights. I'm going back to college. I got two young kids. Owen was just born in 05. Yeah. I'm working a second job in the summer. If it wasn't convenient, as in on the radio, I'm not listening. Or it was older CDs that were in reach. You know, yeah. I wore out Cake and Reverend Horton Heat CDs, but they're, you know, a few years old at this point. Mm -hmm. As far as like new releases in 05, a lot of them I didn't listen to until a couple years down the road. Aside from like Dropkick Murphys and Supergrass, Death Cab for Cutie, Wolf Mother, but I'm getting Wolf Mother. I'm probably hearing on the radio. I know I definitely mm -hmm. heard them on the internet radio station, mm -hmm. or I'm getting them from friends. MP3s, you know, they're supplying my my music addiction. 
<laughs> um, and also I wasn't playing in bands anymore because I just got so much else going on. And that's kind of depressing. So I had been retreating from new music because it all kind of just built up into this stress ball of me saying, ah, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, I know that. I know what that's like. Yeah, you can't yeah. find anything you like that you're really enjoying. So you got to go to your comfort food. Yeah, exactly. And it takes, it kind of just takes the joy away from music for me if I'm not playing and I'm not finding anything I enjoy. Yeah. Until late in 2005, I already said, you know, it's a lot of talk radio. Sports, yep. Donna Mike. But getting back to your original question, I was reminiscing about country music in these early 2000s. Oh, yeah. Here we have some country. There we go. I know. More country, right? Once I heard Johnny Cash's Unchained, mm -hmm. um, I think that's like 96-ish. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah. I, I started slowly digging in his back catalog. Then a couple years later down the road, I started digging more into just classic country. And my father-in-law, he was a great source of that music, and he had a ton of it. And I'm talking a multi-year binge mm -hmm. because I'm not hearing anything that, you know, grabs me, uh, you know, on the airwaves. It wasn't all I was listening to, but you get to a point where old is new again. Mm -hmm. You know, I hadn't heard these songs in years or some of them I hadn't heard at all. So it's new to me. Right. And to this day, Please Help Me, I'm Falling by Hank Lachlan is one of my all time favorite songs. And I happen to know this already because it was your single song choice on my Maroon 5 podcast oh, yeah. that I was doing a year ago. <laughs> so definitely a great song. And this is the second time you brought it up to me. Yeah, yeah, thanks. And I'll stand by that. I would take that song to a desert island. That's, That's cool. just great. But later in 2005, I was kind of waking up. You know, my schedule is freeing up. No more college. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of more in a pattern of what I'm doing. But one of the albums that did it for me was the Rick Rubin produced Neil Diamond album, 12 Songs. I thought he could repeat the same magic he did with Johnny Cash. And I really loved it at first, but later listens, I'm, I'm just like, you know what? This is just okay. It was an example of sometimes you really want to love something. So yeah, I know what that's listening, like, <laughs> you, you know, and then you just realize, you know what? Neil Diamond, he doesn't need the help. He's an incredible songwriter, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, Johnny Cash wrote some good songs too, but Johnny Cash also sang a lot of songs that were written by other people but neil diamond does not need songwriting help except for maybe you know some of his later recordings they were just really overpopulated with instruments yeah in production and this was a good step back to his more towards his original form yeah i think this kind of became rick rubin's calling card going to artists who he could kind of give a, a revival to their career or, you know, just put his name on as a producer. And I'm not going to accuse him for trying to do a cash grab. Ah, uh, nice pun. That's a pun right nice there. Nice pun. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're right. Wait, you got to take a drink for that. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> There's your punishment. Yes. <laughs> oh, did I just say punishment? <laughs> Fuck, I got a drink now. <laughs> All right. To me, this album, I listened to it this week. It's just okay. And I'm a big Neil Diamond fan too. I've listened to most of the stuff he's put out there. And I love his older stuff from the 60s through the early 70s. This album's throwback and it's raw, but to me, it's a little one-dimensional. There's nothing that's upbeat on it. Neil Diamond was great at writing ballads and really sentimental, poignant lyrics, but he also knew as far back as the 60s how to get you out of the seat and shake your ass. Yeah. And there's no I'm a believer or cherry cherry, she's got a way to move me, you know, anything like that on there. So it 
is a nice sentimental album, but there's almost this sadness to it that it, it threw me off because I expected a little more optimistic Neil Diamond and not yeah. as as much the forloaning Neil Diamond as you get off of this album. Yeah, and 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 I don't want to blame Rick Rubin for that too, but I kind of want to at the same time. Well, Rick Rubin's the producer that's like, tell me how you yeah. really feel. So tell me how you he, really feel. Yeah, but he's also no noted for leaving people alone and then just coming back and listening to it and go, nope, try again. Yeah, that's true. Yep. You know, but, you know, there was a big sentimental push with those late Johnny Cash recordings. And I wonder if maybe he was, like you kind of intimated before, trying to, you know, recapture that yeah, with yeah. Neil Diamond. But yeah, I agree. It just sounds like Neil Diamond sat on a stool with an acoustic guitar and did all 12 songs in one road there was just there just wasn't a, a a that roller coaster ride on an album where you have your peaks and valleys and, and he had that on his albums kind of, when he was young yeah, yeah it yeah. just went to one level and just kind of stayed and then then it's like and, yeah and then you realize wait i listened to a whole album or i will say that it does fortunately steer clear of that late 70s early 80s cheese all that instrumentation that you talk about and i'm glad that at least rick rubin didn't decide to you know <laughs> make america <laughs> i was just gonna sing that again <laughs> oh boy oh boy okay i think we've kind of encapsulated 05 I yeah. think it's time to move on to our five. Yeah, and we've got stuff to talk about with our five this week. Oh, a little yeah. bit more. 1999, we wanted to get through our five about as fast as... It was definitely the speed dating round of our it show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so these ones are probably more long-term relationships. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so who chose 05? I chose... No, you chose 05. I chose 05, so I get to go first. All right. And since I showed my hand, if anybody's a Weezer fan out there... I this will actually be short. Uh, the first song that I'm going to pick is Weezer's Perfect Situation. I love the way the song comes in with a big epic guitar solo. I love songs that are brave like that musically. It doesn't mm -hmm. start with a verse. It doesn't sing the hook first. It starts off with this intro that's a lead guitar solo. And it builds yeah. and builds and builds and then goes into the song, continuing the solo until it goes into Weezer's catchy poppy hooky you know yeah. phrase that, that, that it does in the songs <laughs> it was a great video and yeah it's one of those songs that when i make a playlist and i'm putting weezer songs on this is probably one of the first three to five songs that i'm going to throw on there all right cool yep. i like that so that is a go. bright spot on that album yeah definitely so that's my number one what is your number one i'm gonna go with wolf mother and joker and the thief all right yeah before greta van fleet Wolf Mother was getting accused of doing the Led Zeppelin thing. <laughs> hey, don't judge me, but I remember playing this song. Uh, it was either Rock Band or Guitar Hero. So for everybody moaning, just play real instruments. This was a fun way to interact with people who might not Hell have yeah. the ability to, you know, or confidence to play real music. Also, the one thing about playing Rock Band or Guitar Hero with people is that if somebody fucked up, then you could actually give them the evil eye because you're just playing a game. But if you do it at band practice, then you're an asshole. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> I, I liked it and I still do. <laughs> oh my God, there's some truth right there. <laughs> there is. But listening to it again made me think more of if the White Stripes had a full band. There was a lot okay. about it that really sounded like it was more like uh, Jack White songwriting. And that's not an insult because, you know, I like Jack oh, yeah, White no, songwriting. No, no. You know, it's not, it's not criticism. Uh, it's it's more a compliment and observation 
Oh, definitely. But it didn't maintain that Zeppelin feel to me. And I did think that in 2005, oh, this is man, sounds like the next Led Zeppelin. And then when I listened to it this week, I was like, it reminds me more of like if if the White Stripes had Meg White playing a full kit, they had some backup singers and a few other instruments on stage. Oh, yeah. Then that's what it would have sounded like. But Yeah, awesome. you'll get no shaming for me. Guitar Hero was a lot of fun. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, how many times did you go to play with friends and like, oh, this isn't fair. Jim knows how to play guitar. Matt knows how to play guitar. It's like, hey, you get a little bit of an edge, but yeah. I'll play drums. Yeah, that's what I, I do. I, I, always, I always went to the drums because that was too. really fun. <laughs> yeah, I understood that Zeppelin comparison, but there's a lot of, there's a ton of bands you can say that about. They're one mm. of the most influential bands of all time. Yeah. I looked at Wolf Mother as an amalgamation of a lot of 70s hard rock bands. The voice is reminiscent of Plant at times, mm -hmm. I guess, but nothing like, you know, Greta Van Fleet. You had the John Lord keyboard sound and Deep Purple, and I hear yep. Uriah Heat. There's, it's just good old fashioned hard rock. Nothing wrong with that. It gets, you know, it gets back to the whole "it's all been done" discussion. Whenever a new rock band comes along, we spend more time complaining that they're ripping off Led Zeppelin or this or that. What's the alternative? Rock dies completely. Well, then we get mad because they don't make music like that anymore, and Ex then they make exactly. music like that, and then we're pissed off because they're ripping it off. <laughs> exactly, bullshit. Just put on Wolf Mother or bands like that. Just listen to it and enjoy it for what it is, because it's giving you what you missed. All right, that was a long number one. <laughs> That's fine. That's a good number one. <laughs> All right, Jim, what do you got? Well, I'm not going to be too long with my number two. I got more I'm going to talk about with my other songs, but uh, real quick, sweet and simple. Bex E-Pro. This song is a, a late find for me, actually. I didn't really listen. I knew it was on the radio and I'd heard it during the time that it was out, but it didn't really pull me in when I initially heard the song. And I, I want to say it was probably around 2010. I was in a cover band and we were playing some pretty unique songs. And one of the songs that we played was Bex E-Pro. Oh, really? That would be cool to do as a cover band. It's a fun song to play. It's very simple to play on bass. There's not much to it at all. But to be able to dance, I, like I could dance with my bass on stage and and smile at the audience and look around at everybody. Yeah, and, not at your fretboard. Well, but also <laughs> I think it's, you know, it's a lot of it's just beat. And you're just like sliding mm. like one single note now. And you're just hitting a single note. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's one of those songs that once again, when I'm making a playlist and I'm looking who put on there, this song shows up on all of them. I've got good memories of playing it. It was a lot of fun. So there's my number cool. two. Good one. Good Let's one. get to yours. So I'm going to preface this so I don't have to say it in the next three songs that <laughs> these are all that if you remember version 2008, my indie phase, as Jim would probably prefer me to call it. <laughs> I still this, got my beard. Yeah, the e emo indie phase. <laughs> yeah, emo indie phase. <laughs> this is pre-emo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but all of these bands, they kind of came out of my indie phase. So I didn't know them in 05, but I knew them in like the 08-ish time frame, but I've come back to. And I'm going to start with Art Brute, and the song is Emily King. This song and, is fun. I'm gonna, hold on, hold on. Don't okay. you get started. I'm going to take back all the bad things I've said about talk singing. Okay. So I'm going to take that bullet out of your chamber. Uh huh. I love Art Brute. This is just their songs. It's fun storytelling with great, just 
great backing music. You know, it's about a boy's first love he can't get over. And I really love the bridge in this song where he counts down how long. <laughs> it's psycho. <laughs> it is psycho. It is psycho, but it's so great. I love it. What I really like about this band in general in this song, they're, they're just a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. This might be the first week where I've listened to one of the bands that you've brought in that I haven't heard other songs. So I listened to that song, but then listened to some more music from it. And I'm yeah. going to look a little further into Art Brute because they sound British. And I, I kind of want to see where, you know, they came from here. I noticed they only have like a million plays on Spotify, which I'm sure if you or I were in a band, we would die for. But that's yeah. not huge for yeah. bands out there, you know, that have, you know, really kind of been around the world. But I do love that this girl he can't get over and he's had other yeah. girlfriends and he keeps thinking <laughs> of the old one. And I'm yeah. just like, is this... Is this Emily Kane by Jim Bowen? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> other girls went and other girls came. <laughs> and he wants cool kids on buses singing her name. <laughs> it's a great catchy little song. When he does the countdown on it's been 10 years and this many days and this many months and, months yeah. and hours. You know, seconds. He goes all the way down to seconds. Since he's last seen her. It's just, it's crazy, but I like I it. I don't even know where she lives. <laughs> Well, he would now if he stalked her on Facebook. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I, I hope she was not real and that she had yeah. to listen to that song. <laughs> All right. So is that okay. the end of that? Yeah, that's it. That's the end of that one. Yeah, see, that was fun. That was fun. Just as fun as the song. Yes. So my number three. All right. So another one that I won't go on too long about, uh, Nine Inch Nails, The Hand That Feeds. A great song. I've always been a Nine Inch Nails fan since Pretty Hate Machine. I've really enjoyed their music throughout my life. And I think this this was kind of almost the end of them being really kind of commercially on top with songs. Yes. But it's a great way to go out. I almost picked the song Every Day is Exactly the Same because I really enjoy that song as well. It was a tough choice between the two. I think that Every Day is Exactly the Same. So here I am adding a Six song kind of kind of there's there's this there's this Pulling keyboard mat, as we say <laughs> there's this keyboard melodic theme that kind of extends through various nine inch nails albums mm. with that singular notes yes. and dropping and such and with you know the every day is exactly the same when you get into a rotten life that's when the song needs to be on your playlist because you'll yeah. feel that way but with the hand that feeds it just rocks. I, I was in a band. We covered this song. Something very satisfying about being as angry as Trent Reznor singing a song like oh, this. Oh, yeah. And There's you something away. cathartic about just there yelling is. out something yeah. like that. <laughs> you step away from it and you're like, I feel much better now. Yeah, except and, for my throat. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. primal scream therapy. It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Nine Inch Nails, probably not the first time it's going to show up in my five. Uh, and this is the first song that I will have on the playlist and cool. love it. Great song. So that is my third choice. Let's get on to yours. Still my in your third, indie phase. Still in my indie phase. Yeah. But well, our brute wasn't, uh, you know, a big emo downer. And neither is this one. The Kaiser Chiefs with I Predict a Riot. I think everybody knows this song, right? Yeah. Yeah. What a cool song. What a cool song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is the band that I would see in the back pages of Rolling Stone mm -hmm. in 05. You know, those five paragraph write-ups, bands to look out for kind of things, you know, Kings of Leon. Oh, they're coming to get you, <laughs> you know, but I, I really wouldn't hear it until, you know, a couple years later, like I was yep. saying earlier, 
um i love their energy yeah it's so awesome there's a little new wave sound in their music that yep. really raw guitar sound uh this is the band i would really love to see live they would just they just seem like they'd be so much fun uh and just they they want to move they want the crowd to move and have an experience yeah you would enjoy it you would definitely enjoy their show oh. i almost brought the song oh my god off this album oh, on really? the show yeah so it great album i owned it in 2005 i think i was oh. still digging around british music at the time because yeah well I, like i said i was over here there for yeah. christmas time so that probably was the time when i found it okay uh, yeah great great choice so i'm glad it's on the list all right, Jim, we're on to your number four. My number already? four already. So I really don't know much about him, but I was going through music this week and I was almost going to pick a Kanye song. And then I thought, you know what? It'd be really easy to get Kanye on the playlist probably from the audience. So if, oh, if yeah. audience, you have Kanye, yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I'm sure it's going to be there. Uh, so I decided to go with somebody who people probably know, but really haven't gone back and listened to his music. And that's Common, uh, his song Go. Yeah, a he, lot of people don't go back to Common. Yeah, you know, Common, he's in a lot of movies, TV shows. You know, yeah. you, you would see him and you would recognize him from a, a lot of stuff that he's been in in the past 10 or 15 years. But he did start out as a hip-hop artist. And I picked him up during this time because he was considered to be like part of the new group of hip-hop artists that were going to take over that scene. And then mm -hmm. I think he kind of stepped away from music for the most part, or at least the major promotion behind of it, because he got so well accepted into film and television. Yeah, but and this... I think he, he went through some changes, too, where his music really took on a very positive tone. Yes. Yep. Yeah. You know, and I, I really I really love when people can just do that and not have to be all about being a badass. All right. So that's my number four. What is your book end to your indie phase? Of yes. The trifecta of my indie phase is the new pornographers and the song is called use it. Mm. So I've already said they were, you know, in my indie phase, I've had this song on regular rotation just about ever since I love the layering of the instruments, especially the, this, the piano part in this, it's just, it's so subtle but it kind of also drives the song, the vocal parts and harmonies. I loved as always, you know, I got to love the, the vocal sound. It's this, this is the kind of poppy rock music that would chart when we were growing up. Yep. Instrument yep. wise. Yeah. You no, know, you got your uh, not overly overdriven guitar and your bass and your piano and your drums and, you know, really good singing with a good harmony. This album was it was like a little time machine for me this week. This was probably the album I reminisced about the most because this is a great album. Twin Twin Cinema, I think it is, but you yeah, know, I think that's it. Song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I enjoyed listening to it. I definitely checked it out this week. It was one of those songs where I was like, I, I know who this band is, so I need to go listen to the song. Yeah. And yeah, it's a good choice. It is. So good, good end to your indie phase there. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get to my number five, I was retrospectively looking at mine and I realized you should have pointed out that I was going through a nostalgic 90s phase on my first three. That's why I should have listed that. Jim stuck in that. I got Weezer. I got Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, you know what? I didn't I didn't notice that and I should have called you out on that because yeah, yes, so. you, yeah, you were. All right. So my number five. You're number five. Yep. So I'm actually going to come here to Scotland. You tend to pick the Scottish artists most of the time, but I'm mm. picking the Scottish artist today. And that is Katie Tunstall and her song, 
black horse and a cherry tree. Good choice. Yeah. This is a great story that every musician kind of dreams of when you're learning to write and play songs. She literally was standing on the street on a Monday in St. Andrews busking. A television producer from the BBC, I would guess. I I don't know which channel Jules Holland is on, (laughs) but from the Jules Holland show over here, saw her on the street and basically went up to her and said, do you want to come down and be on Jules Holland on Friday night? Oh, what a dream come true. Yeah, that is. That's exactly what you dream about happening. Yeah. You know, I watched the performance a couple of times this week because I had to go back and watch it over again. And she's so calm and comfortable for somebody who's just been pulled up on stage to play like this. Because there's a lot of intricate work that she's doing with her loops. And that you can tell that she knows what she's doing because she's done it over and over and over. She doesn't, the moment's not too big for her. Everybody wants to be amazed by what Ed Sheeran does with his loops. But Katie Tunstall was doing this in 2005 while Ed Sheeran was, was. you know, probably in like kindergarten or something like that. He's learning to comb his hair probably. Oh, wait, Matt, I got one more (laughs) thing to tell you. I don't like the tone of your voice. When she was on Jules Holland that night, do you know who was on the very same episode? Who? The Cure. Oh, God. You did it to me. You brought the cure. Hey, man. And I can't I a just. Very natural oh, way to fit the cure me. right into the last. Yeah. <laughs> the, and myself. it would be cheap for me to just say a band that I love. So yeah. I won't say it. <laughs> That's fine. You you get plenty of shots in yourself. I so. know. I do. I do. <laughs> there we go. That tops off my five. Awesome. Yeah, what is your final song that is not one of your indie tunes? <laughs> nope. I'm coming out of the indie, and it's definitely one that I heard on the radio at the time, and it's one of the few that made my ears perk and go, what the fuck is that? And it was The Darkness. And the oh, song yeah. is Girlfriend. I've been listening to a lot of The Darkness lately. Justin Hawkins writes again. It's like my, it's my new YouTube obsession. Mm-hmm. He's cool. <laughs> he is. He's so cool. Mm-hmm. He's, he keeps everything positive. Or at least mm-hmm. he, at least he tries to, I love the uh, be nice episodes of his show. <laughs> it's really funny, especially that Maroon 5 one. I wonder if some people write them off as a novelty band because of the falsetto that Justin Hawkins uses. They're, they're just a fantastic rock band. I don't think it's novelty at all. They still tour over here. You know, you've probably seen albums still coming out by them anyway. Oh, yeah. But they're big here. They go out, they tour, they fill pretty large venues. One of my buddies, I do believe, was a tour bus driver for them on one of their tours. And they're supposed to be 100%, you know, like we talked about, nice guys. But yeah, man, you come over here to the UK, it's pretty easy to see the darkness. Oh, man, I'm so glad to hear that. That is, They're definitely on my list of bands I would love to see. They just want people to have a good time with mm-hmm. some awesome music. Yep, Nothing yep. has to always be so so serious Mm -hmm. but yeah girlfriend it's an awesome kick-ass song and the the darkness is an awesome kick-ass band it's a great final song for the show i think a lot of the stuff that we've picked this week has been fun music for me personally i think our 10 songs i think we picked like the bright the bright spots for me yes yes yep yep you know there's nothing here i'm going uh I should tell everybody this is the first week Matt's ever messaged me saying, I really like your five songs this week. Yeah. Here we are, 16 episodes in. <laughs> it's not that I haven't liked your five before, but this this time I'm like, 
yeah, God damn it. Yeah, we need some nine inch nails in there. We need mm. more back, right? <laughs> well, not in common. Change. Yeah. How, when is common going to get yeah, in there? No. Right? And it's it's the right song and the right time to bring him in. Yeah. And definitely. you know what? The audience is doing such a good job picking songs that we also know kind of represent the year in a, a more a classical way. I'll use that term. I don't want to say commercial because sometimes no, more it's not... en encompassing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I do, I tend to bring in, you know, the lesser known stuff and I want to joke that it's by design, but that is the music that I like. Mm -hmm. I don't like it when somebody says, Oh, you got to listen to this. This is so awesome. You're going to love this. Like oh, I give them the side eyes. Like, <laughs> let me make up the, let me make up my own mind. And by the way, you've already taken that song from a 10 to a five. <laughs> you have by that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because just I'm, I'm like a skeptical. It's like, no, you're not going to tell me what to like. <laughs> you know, I'm a B-side guy. Yeah, you are a B-side guy. And that's what's cool. There are people who are, you know, listening to this playlist and they've told me what they like about it is that there's familiar stuff on it. So they'll hear stuff they know, but then they do get to hear stuff that they've never heard before. And we're up to what, about 15 hours of music on there. So, oh, and it's yeah. growing. So, and, and, and how fun is it to just have validation of what you like yeah right yeah. why you know i find it more interesting to see oh what the hell is this let me mm -hmm. let me check that out that that's just the way i'm wired and more audience choices are starting to get voted into the playlist yes not just the 10 songs that i put up yep. so we're getting more ads from audience so keep that up audience it's really yeah, great definitely we love it yeah love so it. that's the end of our 2005 isn't it Yay. yeah 2005 hey as we get to the end of 2005 we know what we have to do next, and that is we choose the next show. So I pick 2005. Matt, it is your turn to pick where we're going to go next. We're not going to go down the road too far. Okay. We're just going to go to 2009. Oh, is this going to be we're extra just... emo, Matt? <laughs> this is just another – oh, my God. You know what? No, I was looking at the timeline of all the years that we've selected. Okay. I'm like, yeah. there's a gap. And I'm like, yeah, 2009, that's going to be a year that I'm pretty in tune to, I think. Okay. But usually I'm wrong. Yeah. Well, you know what's <laughs> cool about that is we did 2008 and we've talked about how sometimes when we get to a year that's, you know, bordering the other year, we've got some of the work done already for us. So it'll be good to dig yeah. into that and see what's yeah. there. And 2009 was really when I started kicking in playing in cover bands in Burlington. So okay. there was a much bigger chance that I was listening to the radio and listening to songs quite a bit mm -hmm. to figure out what we're going to play, what was going to be there. So I'm looking forward to that. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, it will yeah. be. Yeah. Well, uh, I think it's my turn to wrap it up. Yeah, wrap it up. I'll wrap it up. All right. Wrap it up. I'll take it. Ah, fabulous Thunderbirds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, everybody, thank you for tuning in to this version 2005 episode of the Jam Podcast. We want to thank everybody who listens to the show, who's participated on the Facebook group page. We have stuff coming up in the future that we're going to do that will probably change the dynamic of the show a little bit as far as maybe trying to do some video. People, A lot of people come, you should do YouTube, you should do this. We're, we're evolving slowly. But what we want to do is make sure that we do it right. And so when this stuff comes, 
we're going to make sure that it is better than version 1971 was yeah, <laughs> where exactly. we're now, <laughs> you know, in the show. So we have that stuff coming. Give us a couple of months and there'll be more for you to interact with with us. Right now, the Facebook page, though, it's great to see everybody that's putting their votes in. 75 votes this week. I think that's pretty stellar. And then getting song choices from the people that are listening also makes a big difference to us. So thank you again, Matt. It is your turn to say goodbye to the audience. Goodbye, audience. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, next time we'll see you for version 2009. Yeah, we will. Everybody, take it easy. Peace, love, and podcast. Doodle-doo.